This morning, I am going to start in the book of James, but then leave the book of James and come back next week and finish in the book of James. So this is a two-part sermon. So if you're not here next week, uh, tough. But um, what I'm going to do, if you turn to chapter 3 and verse 13, I'm going to take one little adjectival clause out, um, phrase out, and I'm going to deal just with that. The reason is, when James mentions this, there's a wealth of history and understanding that lies behind it. We don't have that. So I'm going to do the filling that the Jews would already have in their minds uh, as they read this book. So if you look at verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Just that phrase, wise and understanding. That I'm going to take out. So if you think of the sentence, I'm lifting that up. That two words, wise and understanding. That's what we are going to focus on. So it's going to be taken out of the context. The next week we'll come and look at the contextual understanding of the entire section and how wise and understanding relates to what follows. Now, follow with me as we read in verse 13 through to the end in verse 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. So this wisdom is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and, and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Tremendous passage. And I hope you notice how many times the word wisdom came up in the section, at least four times. It's referenced to seven times, but four times it is mentioned. This takes us back to where we started in the book of James. I said to you when we began that the theme of James is what? Faith that works. What is the undercurrent of James? Wisdom. And so we concluded right in the beginning of the, the, this book, that is in 2020, I think we started August 2020, I concluded in our introduction that saving faith must demonstrate itself in wise acts of righteousness in order for it to be authentic. That is what James is after. He's not just after having saving faith, but the possession of saving faith needs to be demonstrated in wise acts of righteousness. If there is no demonstration of saving faith, then there is no presence of saving faith. In the immediate context here, James deals with the lack of faith on the tongue of a teacher. And I pointed out to you in a variety of different ways, what James is after is the heart of the individual who uses the tongue. 
where there is perverseness, wickedness, hewing down of people who are created in the image of God, there faith is not present. But if faith is present, then there will be fruits to demonstrate that faith is present. Those fruits are, are demonstrated in how the tongue is used. And James concludes a section prior to this by speaking about the source of the tongue. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and grape? Vine produces figs? The answer is no. Neither can salt yield fresh water. What is present in the source will be evident in its fruit. What is present in the mouth will be evident of its source. That's the point that James is making. If the heart has been changed by God's grace, then the tongue will be changed in how it communicates. Here James highlights the reality of faith. Faith is not duplicitous. Faith will not produce unnatural fruit, fruit that is not consistent with its source. And at this stage, James now toggles to wisdom. This is because in wisdom literature there is a connection between how the tongue is used and the presence of wisdom. James wants to show the corollary, the natural outworking of the presence of wisdom. Now you may be thinking, why wisdom? In James' mind, the presence of wisdom means one thing. It means that you understand truth about God and that your life has been brought into alignment with God. If wisdom comes from God, then it means that the life that has that wisdom has been changed by God and will result in a harvest of righteousness that will be evident to all who witness that life. Someone said to me recently, God does not need my works. And I said to him, yes. Before salvation, God is not interested in your works. But God is invested in your works after salvation. In fact, it is God who produces the ability and the capacity and the desire to do the works that please God. Without that, you will not know if that person is a believer. The saved cannot hide the work of God in their lives. This section, verse 13 through to 18, is the pinnacle, theological pinnacle of this book. Verse 18 of chapter 1 is the crucial hinge upon which the, the storyline of the book unfolds. That God is the one who gives new birth. And if He's the one that gives new birth, who determines what this new birth looks like? It is God. Here James makes a, another crucial uh, revelation about God. That God is the one who gives wisdom. Wisdom comes from above. Like new birth comes from above, so wisdom comes from above. Dr. Varner, in his book on James, says, quote, This paragraph has the most prominent role in the overall structure of the letter of James, or from James, end quote. 
Now, you may not have seen that, you may not have thought about it in that way, but it is the hinge upon, the, upon which the entire book uh, winches, winches. This section makes logical sense in that everything prior to it points to it. Everything follow it uh, follows from it. In fact, verses 1 through to uh, 10 in chapter 4, relates back to wisdom. If you have wisdom, then these things will be true of you. Prior to this, if you have wisdom, then you will live in a way that demonstrates that you, you, you have aligned your life with the knowledge and understanding of who God is. So why is it so crucial? James wants his readers to adopt a lifestyle that is structured according to wisdom. But not just any wisdom. This is not just self-derived wisdom, some common sense wisdom. But wisdom that comes from God. Consequently, wisdom that rejects any kind of humanistic, earthly, and demonic anti-wisdom. This kind of wisdom has... This anti-wisdom has a semblance of wisdom. It looks good on the outside. It looks good to people, but it is void of God. And therefore, it is demonic and has no value. The section that we will look at over the next couple of weeks, verse 13 through to 18, can be broken up into three sections. Number one, the evidence of wisdom in verse 13. Number two, the signs of false wisdom in verse 14 to 16. And number three, the effects of true wisdom in verse 17 through 18. I'm not dealing with that this week, and we'll get back to that next week. This morning, I'm going to zoom in just on this phrase, wise and understanding. What is meant by wise and understanding? Clearly, it relates to wisdom, because James tells us this. Who is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So if you're wise and understanding, wisdom will be evident in how you live. Now, I want to pause here. And I want to ask a question. You don't have to answer, but answer it in your mind. What is wisdom? You may be thinking, knowledge applied. Who said that? Who said knowledge applied? Probably most of you, okay? Nobody wants to be honest, that's okay. This is a church, but you don't have to be honest. <laughs> I've, I've read, I can't tell you how many definitions of wisdom. And it goes like this. Wisdom is skillful artistry masterfully demonstrating itself in practical works. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. Wisdom is living according to God's rule. What do you see in those definitions of wisdom? It is focused on us, what we do. What I'm going to do is allow the Bible to define wisdom and understanding for us. And we obviously have to go to the Old Testament to get that understanding. But listen to Hosea. Whoever is wise... Chapter 14, verse 9. Let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. What do you pick up about wisdom? 
listen again. Whoever is wise, let him what? Understand these things. Whoever is discerning, that is, pays attention and examines things, let him personally know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright, the righteous, walk in them. Write that verse down, and after the sermon, go back to it, and, and see how the author of Hosea connects understanding with wisdom and knowledge of God, and saying those who are righteous walk in what? The ways of God. In the midst of promised judgment in Hosea, Yahweh promised a revived Ephraim, that is Israel. He promises to them that those who are righteous will walk in His way. They are the wise. God's promises, God promises that He will act for them. He will turn them from their backsliding. He will cause them and cause them to be restored to Him. He will turn from His anger because of Himself, restoring them to Himself. This is looking future. This is not what has happened to them in the past. And in the midst of this very bleak book of judgment, those who see the hand of God in the promises of God that He will save His own people, they walk in righteousness. What this means then is that wisdom and understanding relates to understanding the ways and the works of God with regards to His people. Those who scrutinize and have personal knowledge of what God does and who God is. They are the righteous. They walk in wisdom. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Keep them, speaking about the statutes and the rules and the laws and the things that God has commanded, which is in the previous verses. He says, uh, keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of, of the people's who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, I want to pause here because there's, there's so many commentaries that say, well, Israel had to be a witness to the world, and this is the verse they bank it on. Now, let's just read it again. Keep them, the rules of God, and do them, for that they will be your wisdom and understanding. What is going to be the source of their understanding. The rules of God. Now look what it says after that. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all people. What are they going to look upon? You? No, it actually tells us. When they hear all these statutes. So the people will hear of the standard of God and say, well, if those people live by that standard, they must be what? Wise and understanding. It is the standard of God's truth that will make them understand, wow, if those people submit to that, they must by every means be above everyone else. And that is true. If you live by God's standard, you live by a higher standard. You live by wisdom and you will have understanding. No other nation will be like you if you live by God's 
standard. That's the point that is behind this statement. Moses goes on to remind them of the Mount Sinai experience. And I'm not going to go into much detail there, but it is God who reveals himself and his law at this moment. And what do they say? They cover their ears and say, Moses, please, you speak to us the words of God, but don't let God speak to us again. They saw the majesty and the glory of God, but were fearful of who God was. Knowing this, seeing who he is, and being affected by the revelation of who God is, it should have impacted them to live in accordance with that knowledge. What this means then is that there is revealed knowledge of God. There is things that God makes known to His people and based on that, He expects them to live in alignment with that. Wisdom and understanding is not born in a vacuum, but it is predicated upon revealed knowledge. Without revealed truth, there can be no true wisdom and understanding. And this will become important important in a moment's time. So what is wisdom? Wisdom, if we say that wisdom is merely knowledge applied, it is partly true. That is an aspect of it. But unfortunately, that is what most people think about when they hear the word wisdom. If that's all you know about wisdom, then you have a man-centered, applicational understanding of wisdom. So then, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. So who then determines and defines wisdom? Very simple, right? God. So what I found in my research is that often what people do is they take every definition of the word wisdom in the Old Testament, Hochmah, um, and in... in um, in Greek, Sophos um, or Sophia, uh, that's where Sophia, I suppose, comes from, a wise woman. Um, uh, They take every definition of these words or every lexical gloss, which you find in the, the dictionaries, and they put it together. And you'll find something like wisdom is artistry or mastery skill, Um, that relates to application or how you uh, um, live in life, how you make decisions. Now, that's not how definitions work. You can't just take every possible definition or explanation of how the word is used and then put them together. Nobody does that. You don't take a dictionary and if you want to understand a word, you look at every possible nuance of that word and say, well, that's what it is. Nobody does that. Yet we get away with it in the church because sometimes we don't really know what it is because there's so many different meanings of a specific word. The word wisdom, just to scare you a little bit, can be used of evil works. So how then, if that is true, why is that not found into the definition of wisdom? Because it doesn't work that way. Wisdom has to be defined by what God determines it to be based on who he is, and I'll explain that in a moment's time. Since wisdom flows from him and comes from him, he by his very essence needs to define what wisdom is. So, that was my introduction. Let's get to what wisdom is. Let's look at what the Bible says, how wisdom relates to God first of all, and how that applies, or the implication of that, to us. Number one, 
Wisdom relates to God's infinite knowledge of himself, attributes, will, and plan. I can't cover all of that because then we'll have to go through the entire Bible. So I'm going to give you a short synopsis of what this means. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. This is probably the most common verse with regards to wisdom. We're going to get back to this later. But look at verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. What are the two words that you find here that you find in James? It's pretty simple. Wisdom and understanding. Okay. But take note how the author of Proverbs, probably Solomon, correlates two things. He says, the Lord gives wisdom, and then from his mouth comes. So the two verbs that correlate one another is give and come. So what relates to one another? The Lord and his mouth relates to each other. Wisdom relates to what then? Knowledge and understanding. So keep that in mind. So God gives both um, wisdom, and from his mouth, if it comes from his mouth, what he's doing is giving it. He's giving knowledge and understanding. True wisdom does not exist outside of God. True God-given wisdom cannot exist outside of God. It is only God who truly possessed true wisdom. It is infinitely connected to who he is. If wisdom comes from him, if wisdom comes from him, it means that it needs to be a part of who he is. Wisdom is an attribute of God. It, it is part of his existence. It's not just how he acts. He gives it to people. He communicates it with us as his being because he can. It's inherently connected to his essence. Wisdom is in reference to God, relates to his self-knowledge. Take note of that. It relates to God's self-knowledge or the knowledge of who he is. God, therefore, will never act contrary to his nature or contrary to his will. That is not wisdom. That is anti-wisdom. God has a knowledge of himself and every act that God does is always consistent with a knowledge of himself. God is the fullest extent of what wisdom is. Look at Romans chapter 11. I don't normally jump around like this, but for the purpose of this sermon, I will be moving about throughout the entire Bible. Romans 11. Notice what Paul says concerning God. Oh, the depth of the riches, verse 33, and the wisdom and the knowledge of of God, how unsearchable are his ways and how unscrutable are his ways, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. Notice how he defines what wisdom is in relation to the knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, the two are connected. 
Wisdom is not only an activity, but is evidently dependent upon knowledge. And in the context of God, God's wisdom is dependent upon God's knowledge of himself. There is a connection between wisdom and knowledge. Whenever God acts, he always acts in consistency with what he knows concerning himself. He knows his limitation. Does God have a limit? He does. What is God's limitation? His holiness. God can never act extra holy. He can never act out of holiness. Extra um, uh, detached from holiness. That is God's limitation. He always has to do anything that is holy. Everything that is holy. So even if God causes calamity... Even if God causes um, judgment, even if God curses His people in the sense that He withholds uh, a blessing from His people, it is a holy act. We don't always understand that, but that is in consistence with who He is. So then if wisdom comes from God, wisdom has to be a part of God, and God alone determines what wisdom is. So firstly, wisdom relates to God's self-knowledge and understanding. Secondly, Wisdom, with regard to, man's, uh, to man, relates to the fear and the knowledge of God. We're going to get back to um, the knowledge of God later on. So in terms of man's response to God, it is predicated upon the fear of God and the knowledge of God. So often when we think about the statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom or knowledge. We think of Proverbs. But it is first found in the book of Job. Turn to Job chapter 28. One of my boys read through the book of Job recently. Um, And as I was going through the book of Job, I, I picked this verse up and it was pretty interesting that this is probably the first occurrence of both the fear of uh, the Lord and wisdom, because this book predates the book of uh, Proverbs. But listen to what it says. And he said to man, verse 28, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. What is wisdom? Begins with the fear of the Lord. Notice the explanatory clause. To depart from evil is understanding. So if you have the fear of the Lord, if that, if that is your starting point, what do you naturally, what should you have after that? Understanding. Understanding of who God is affects what you do in life. What is He expecting those who have the fear of the Lord to do? To walk away from evil. What is the understanding predicated upon? The fear of the Lord. Don't miss that. Understanding is implicit or connected to what wisdom is. You cannot have wisdom without understanding. Go over to Proverbs chapter 1 now. Uh, In preparation for this section of James, I read through the book of Proverbs and boy oh boy, Knowledge and wisdom, or wisdom and instruction, wisdom and, and understanding comes up very often. Look at verse 7. I'm not going to go through all of them. 
we'll spend the rest of the sermon just looking at those passages. But notice what he says in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, wisdom, uh, of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, it is important to note that wisdom is replaced with knowledge here. Take a look again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, what do we think of? Wisdom, because that is the repeated phrase throughout the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But he takes wisdom and replaces it with knowledge. And he says that if you have the fear of the Lord, you should have knowledge of who? God. Because that is where wisdom begins. If you have the knowledge of God, then you will not do like the fool does, which is to despise wisdom and instruction. Look down at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 2. My son, verse 1, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. So he begins with the received instruction. So it is not the words of Solomon, but it's the words that Solomon is giving to him, which is the words of God, because all of these are predicated upon the law. And he says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to what? Understanding. So there's two things that you need to do. Let your ear be given to wisdom and let your heart be given to understanding. um, Wisdom and understanding are equal. They correlate each other. Look down at verse 5. Then if you do that, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Okay, so go back to the, the common statement of, of the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. The fear, the uh, wisdom, sorry. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Where were we before the power went out? Um, verse 6. Is verse 6? Yeah, verse 6. Sorry, verse 5. Then you will understand the Fear of Yahweh and you will find the knowledge of God. What is connected here? Finding, understanding and finding knowledge. Finding understanding relates to finding knowledge of what? Of who? God. The fear of the Lord is having knowledge of God and responding to who God is. That is wisdom. In fact, he says, uh, verse 10, For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. What knowledge is he talking about? Well, he's mentioned the knowledge already. It is the knowledge of God. Soul and heart is parallel. Remember, um, somebody asked a few weeks ago, why does... um, they only mention, why do they only mention tongue or heart and not heart? Why do they not mention soul and not heart? Because the, the Jews, when they mention an organ in their mind, um, the, the, the heart is in view. And, the, and here you see the correlation between heart and soul. When they speak of heart, their the understanding is what the soul is. That unseen part of man that responds to God, either in rejecting or receiving his word. Wisdom is parallel to knowledge. And yet, in our definition, we say that wisdom is knowledge applied. The only thing that we think about is the application. But when the Bible speaks of wisdom, it speaks about the knowledge of who God is. 
Look down at verse 9 through 11. Still in Proverbs 2. Look at the holistic response to the knowledge of God. Verse 6 tells us, Then Yahweh gives, uh, for the, for Yahweh gives wisdom uh, from his mouth, and um, for Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. Think of James as you hear these things. For wisdom will come into your heart and uh, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from every way of evil. From men of perverted speech. Who forsake the paths of uprightness. Who walk uh, uh, in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the uh, in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and are devious in their ways. Surely James understood the book of Proverbs as he wrote the book of James. Wisdom is not void of the knowledge of who God is. Wisdom is not void of the effects of that knowledge on a holistic change uh, in a person's life. Go over to chapter 8 and verse 12. There's an interesting contrast between the adulterous woman in chapter 7 and the woman of, or the woman wisdom in uh, chapter 8. He calls wisdom her over and over in contrast to the, um, the, the unwise, foolish woman. Um, in chapter 9, I think he is where he calls um, wisdom her. Yeah, in chapter 9, verse 1, wisdom has built her house. 8 and 9 contrasts what wisdom looks like in application in life in contrast to the woman who lives unwisely in chapter 7. But look at verse, 20, uh, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. Look at the connection now. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. There's so many connections here to James. It's it's hard to miss. But notice how he he, he connects what wisdom is to what what the effect of wisdom is is in the life of the believer or, or of the saint. I was them dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion, meaning that I'm not separated to, uh, from knowledge. What knowledge is it? Well, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So if you correlate what he's saying, then the knowledge relates to the fear of the Lord and the discretion or the prudence that he's after is the hatred of evil. Walking away from those things that God hates. Doing the opposite of what, um, what God wants. That's what we walk away from. Over and over, we find a companion between wisdom and understanding. Between knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Wisdom cannot be our portion if we do not have these qualities, if they don't coalesce, merge, and unite in our hearts. If you only have application and you do not have the knowledge of the holy, then you don't have wisdom. 
All are required. Understanding, knowledge, prudence, discernment are all necessary in the application of wisdom. So, firstly, wisdom relates to the self-knowledge and understanding of God. And secondly, wisdom relates to knowledge and understanding um, uh, of the truth or the revealed truth of God. Thirdly, it's not just having knowledge, but a comprehension and our observance of the truth. So thirdly, wisdom relates to the comprehension and observance of the truth. Psalm 110. Uh, 111, not 110. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. I think that's absolutely clear. If you have wisdom, you have a good understanding of who God is, and you respond to Him. That is what wisdom is. His praise endures forever. Wisdom is related to understanding and activity, not just to knowledge. Often we focus on the doing of, um, of the commands, but the text says the understanding of who God is. When we have wisdom without, let me say it this way, you cannot have wisdom without understanding. Not possible. Knowledge, you can grow in knowledge of a variety of different things. That doesn't mean that you have wisdom. Wisdom means comprehending and understanding the truth of who God is and then letting that understanding of who God is impact your life in how you make decisions how you conduct, conduct your walk. This means that we shouldn't minimize wisdom to just knowledge applied. To have knowledge doesn't mean that you understand it. I mean, you can possess knowledge. You see this in, in math, right? Just because people have knowledge of how A plus B equals X2... Um, some of you may know that that is not 100% correct, but it, it, you, you, you see that equation and somebody would say, yeah, I don't think that, that that works. I'll just estimate. He's got knowledge, but he has no understanding of how math works and why it is important. Uh, what is the general rule for you carpenters and, and those um, who work with metalwork? Measure twice, cut once. Do you think that is wisdom? Do you think that is wisdom? <laughs> That's practical wisdom, it is. Why? Because if you only have knowledge about measuring and you don't understand why you have to do it, you won't measure. You'll just say, well, it looks about half a meter, I'm just going to cut. And, and you get people like that. Trust me. We've, we've had... Anyway, I, I won't, I won't, I'll, I'll leave that for Wednesday. I'll tell you the story about how people cut our tabletop. Anyway... When we are merely satisfied with veneered knowledge of God and you don't treat it as a treasure that needs to be dug for, that needs to be searched after. In fact, wisdom says, I cry in the street. 
Come and search me out. Read the book of Proverbs. It, wisdom wants to be found. But where is it found? It is found in the fear and the knowledge of who God is. Without that, without understanding who God is, you do not know what wisdom is. Then you have a pragmatic response to life. I do this because it works. I do this because I see others doing it. We cannot be satisfied with a mere veneered relationship with the truth because that's not how you get wisdom. Wisdom is predicated on knowledge and understanding, not just knowledge. So wisdom includes both having comprehension of the Word of God, understanding of the Word of God, and then applying the Word of God. That is what obedience is. You obey because you understand why you have to do it, not just because it says you must do it. Let me give you an illustration. Why do you have to be pure? Because God says, this for this is... Um, for this is the will of God, your what? Sanctification. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. These are commanded things, but if you only look at the application, oh, I've got to be holy without understanding why you have to be holy, then you're focusing just on knowledge applied and not understanding. Why do you have to be holy? Why do we have to be holy? Because God. Is holy, And in order for us to have a relationship with God, His holiness has to affect our lives. Who He is needs to penetrate right down to the daily things that we do. We think holily, that's not a word, I just made it up. You think holily about things. You think holy about, um, see it doesn't make sense when I say holy. So you think holily about what you watch. about what you buy. Why? Because you understand that that is God's standard and that standard becomes your standard. Why? Because He's given you of His Spirit. You live according to His rules. <coughs> Sorry. That is what understanding does. You then align yourselves with what God says in His Word, with who God is, and then comply in obedience. When we are merely satisfied with a veneered relationship with the truth, when we are just looking at the top layer of the Word of God and not digging down, not sweating over the Word without spending time in the Word, digging deep in what it says, then we are going to live shallow lives. A veneered relationship with the Lord will result in a veneered life that you live. Wisdom must include a comprehension of the Word of God before application can become valuable. <coughs> so firstly, wisdom relates to God's self-understanding or self-knowledge and understanding. Secondly, wisdom relates to knowledge and understanding of the truth. And thirdly, wisdom relates to the comprehension and observance of the truth. There's so many verses that you probably can add to it to support that argument. <clears throat> Knowing all these things, what does wisdom mean? If a pastor just tells you what to do, 
without telling you <clears throat> why you need to do it, then he's doing a disservice to you. If all you come up with on a Sunday morning as a pastor is, here are four points of practical living and a poem. Stay home. What are you doing? People can come up with application by just reading the word of God and come up to a logical conclusion. Yeah, I can see that. If you are telling them what they can see, then you are not spending the digging time in the word of God. If a pastor is only giving you application and not the knowledge of God and the understanding of that passage in relation to the knowledge of God, he is wasting your time. Application, what we do, must be predicated on what we understand about who God is and what he desires of us. Not just doing. If you love me, Jesus says, you will what? Obey me. You will do my commands, follow my commands, put in practice my commands. What is, why do we have to obey? Because we understand who he is. He is God and he's worthy of our devotion and our love and our obedience. That's why we obey him. But if all you say is we must obey Christ, Well, yeah, duh. It says that in the text. Wisdom is not that. If all I'm telling you what you could see in the scriptures, and I'm not doing the digging work, then I am wasting your time. Wisdom is predicated on knowledge and understanding, not just on application. Let me give you another illustration. What do we do then with our personal walk, with parenting, with purity. Are we pragmatists in those areas? Are we doing it because it works? Or are we doing it because we've seen it in the Word of God? Are we convinced and, and we understand that the authority of the Word of God tells me exactly how I ought to live and you understand the implications of that if you don't live that way? Are we doing it just because we see it works in other people's lives? It is scary to think that we have become practical pragmatists in our application. The reason why we stay away from wrong things on the internet is not because we understand that God commands us to be holy. No, because it, it's less data on our internet. I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm just saying... What about parenting? The government tells you that if you use the rod, you are abusing your child. What does God say? For those of you who weathered the storm and came to the parenting class, if you spare the rod, you you hate your child. That is strong language. You keep your child from discipline. What are you saying? You know better than God. What are you saying? I base my life, my parenting on pragmatism and not the word of God. That's not wisdom. That's earthly wisdom which God denounces. 
What about your purity? Why do you have to be pure? Why do you have as young men and women keep yourself separate and honor the marriage bed? Because God in Genesis created one man for one woman and when they come together, they honor him in their relationship. When you dishonor that, you show your lack of understanding of the holiness of God. You show your disrespect for the purity and the holiness of God. That is what understanding, knowledge and understanding means. That you, you, you get who God is and it influences your decisions in life. Why do you not take a pen at work and just walk away with it? Uh, you know what, they've got a million. I just, it's just one. They won't miss it. Why don't we do that? Because God desires truthfulness and honesty of those who follow him. Why? Because God speaks truth and the devil is a liar from the beginning. So who do you follow? When wisdom only focuses on application, it hinges or yeah, it hinges on pragmatism. There's something that is called practical wisdom. And it, you know, I cringe when I hear um, these guys when they speak of, oh, well, there's different words for wisdom in Hebrew. And, and there is. And if you look at the different words, like for instance, skill or craft, like a guy who's really skillful in working with wood, he's got wisdom. No, he doesn't. That's not wisdom. That is skill. And the word can be translated as skillful. Or artistry. That doesn't mean he's got wisdom. God in Exodus gives men the ability to be skillful in their work, to be um, uh, uh, wise in how they use wood. But that's practical wisdom. That's not wisdom based on knowledge and understanding. That is something uh, slightly different. But that is what we think of when we think of wisdom. When we lean on our own understanding, when we lean on what we think is best, we have replaced knowledge of God and understanding of God with ourselves. You have elevated yourself to the position of, position of God and you're following your own wisdom. Yet the Bible says that wisdom comes from God. The Jews understood that knowledge of God, fear of God, and understanding of God's ways and God's will are all essential to the application of wisdom. This is not general knowledge. This is not just knowledge of how to apply things, but this is purely knowledge of who God is and what God desires. And as a response to that, you walk in a way that honors Him. That's wisdom. Knowledge of God's will, God's expectation, God's commands, God's desire, what God hates and what God loves, understanding these truths. When you align yourselves to these truths, then you apply wisdom. Now, do we always have wisdom? No, we don't. Well, James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 5, says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So when you think of that, what do you think he's asking? Is he saying, Lord, just help me to 
apply knowledge. But what knowledge? What, is he, what do you think he's asking? In the context here, it is trials and temptation. Well, here it is trials. And he says, if anybody lacks the understanding of what God is doing in his life, let him ask for wisdom. Let him ask God to understand the way of God and the will of God for his life in that situation, not the answer. Not to just apply something, but to respond to the will of God and the way of God in his life or their life at that moment. God grants wisdom to those who are believers. God does not give wisdom to those who do not have the fear of God. This, all that we've gone through now, becomes the framework through which the Jews understand the word wisdom and knowledge. When we see it in the New Testament, we think in a very limited sense. We only think of knowledge applied. Yet, for them, when they hear knowledge and wisdom, especially in collocation connected together, Especially in that context, they're thinking knowledge of God and the implication of understanding that, how that relates to how you walk. It is not true that all wisdom comes from God. There are people who have natural wisdom. There are people who are just a little bit more discerning than others. In fact, James says, this earthly wisdom. Look at what he says in verse 14. But if you have uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly. So this wisdom is earthly and spiritual and demonic, and that should shock you. If you are only leaning on natural wisdom, you are... uh, employing demonic wisdom in your walk, which is anti-wisdom when it comes to God. Take note of the connection here at the end of verse 14. And be false to the truth. Wisdom relates to the truth. My, my theology professor, Dr. Mook, systematic theology professor, says of wisdom, quote, a working definition of wisdom related to God can be stated as that perfection according to which God's knowledge of himself regulates how he acts so that he may accomplish his eternal purposes um, and goal which magnify his glory, end quote. That's what wisdom is. It first relates to God's knowledge of the entire scope of all he's going to do his will, his way, his, his plans, um, and the knowledge of his limitation of holiness. And he acts in relation to that. God never acts outside of his uh, nature. Wisdom is not just an activity. It is a quality. When we think of God and wisdom, it's not just the way that God does things. It is who he is by his very essence. It's how he makes decisions because it's an inherent quality of who he is. A quality that drives action that is consistent with the knowledge and understanding of God. 
Therefore, when the Bible says wisdom comes from God, it means that God endows his people with the ability to understand who he is and enable them to respond consistently in consistence with his nature. God will never, never guide his people to sin against himself. God will never guide his people to live in contradistinction with his divine nature. He will not do that. That is not wisdom. God is never dualistic. God is never pure and uh, unholy. God is never good and evil. God's wisdom is rooted in the quality of who or the essence or the nature of who he is. So then, if we know God, what should we also have? We should have wisdom. Now wisdom is one of those things that we do not possess eternally. We, we are not infinite uh, like God and we don't possess these qualities infinitely. Only from the point of salvation do we possess some of the virtues as an ongoing reality. In James, wisdom is not so much just for the endurance of a trial, but it is a request for God to help us understand the knowledge of God so that we can live in a way that honors God. There are some crumbs of the knowledge of God sprinkled throughout the book of James. And you may have picked it up. Chapter 1, we ask God for wisdom because he's a source of knowledge. Verse 13 in James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no, no one knowledge and understanding of who God is and how God works. So when you're going through through temptation, it is not God. He's not tempting you to sin. God never acts in... He never acts in... with inconsistence with who He is. Knowledge of His way of salvation, verse 18... I'm going to include verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Understanding who God is, he's the one that gives new birth and life. Then verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let everybody, person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Application is based on the knowledge of what God does and who God is. It's sprinkled throughout this book. And I think it's just because we are just not Jews and we don't have this history of understanding of what wisdom and understanding is. And so we, we miss those connections. And you can, you can follow it right through to chapter 13, the various crumbs. I'm not going to go through all of that. Wisdom is innate to God and Christ, not to us. But we can grow in wisdom as we grow in our understanding of who God is and what God desires. God in his marvelous grace has given to us, in his son, both wisdom and redemption 
and salvation. First Corinthians, I'm going to end with this. Chapter 1, verse 30. <clears throat> and because of him, in the presence of uh, the gospel, in the presence of God working out his salvation plan uh, in this world, notice what he says in verse uh, 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment uh, of the discerning I will thought, thwart. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Who is the one who is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, uh, the world did not know God through wisdom. Yet it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Why? <clears throat> so that, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God save by His grace and by His, His work alone so that none of us can boast in His presence? Read further, verse 30. And because of Him, this is uh, uh, God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So that, as it is written, let no one who boasts, uh, so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul has these two recurring phrases. God saves you so that you don't boast. God gives you all these things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He grants you all these things. Why? So that you don't boast. Both God's salvation and God's provision of wisdom is not to magnify you. You are not wise to say, look at me beating on your chest. You are wise because God magnifies His majesty, His glory, and His grace in you. So you cannot boast. God has demonstrated His grace both in salvation and the provision of wisdom in His Son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. As Paul prayed uh, for the Ephesian saints, that we all may be filled with the revelation of the knowledge of Christ, and that we may all have wisdom. We pray that this may become true of us, that as we grow in our understanding of who Christ is, that we will also grow in our wisdom that we would start to live in a way that demonstrates that we understand both your way and your will that you are wise and understanding you know far better than we do and that we should not lean on our own understanding but wholly trust in you Father help us we are needy and weak and failing people, we need you to help us to live in a way that honors you. So we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen.